Drilling fluids touch just about everything in the drilling process. We're here to deconstruct the drilling process and drilling fluid concepts to provide a deeper understanding of our industry. In each episode, we'll share information, talk to interesting people, and maybe share a few stories along the way. Welcome to The Flow Line, a production of AES Drilling Fluids, brought to you by Matt Offenbacher and Justin Gautier. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to The Flow Line. Matt, how is it going this afternoon, my friend? It's going. My goodness. Mm-hmm. Isn't summer supposed to be when everyone's on vacation and relaxing? That's like really interesting because traffic, to me, has not really let up. It has, but not to the same, not the same amount as it has in the past. So it would be interesting to look at like gasoline consumption here in Houston. I would imagine it's, well, again, the pandemic kind of put a wrench into all that, but I would be curious to see how much more it is, say, you know, average for the month of June versus like pre COVID levels or something like that. I don't know. It just feels like there's more, like obviously there's more people that live here now, I would imagine, but it used to be when it was summertime, it's like, oh, I could get downtown in like 20 minutes and there was never any backs up, backup. And yeah, it just seems like there's a lot more people nowadays, but that's my observation. All those people. All the people. But Houston's, you know, it's a, you know, we got it all, you know, who wouldn't want to come live here? You know, it's the best. This is the best time of the year to check it out. <laughs> yeah. It's God's country. Mm-hmm. Anyway. So Matt, what do you want to talk about today? I, like, I mean, what you got for us, man? I've been getting a lot of questions or not a lot of questions, but every once in a while this comes up. Okay. Somebody wants to talk about crosslink pills and they're like, well, why don't you have something? Mm-hmm. And I'm like, if you open up your wallet first, I will give you whatever you want. Right. However, there are some nuances to understanding these things, and so we should probably get into that, along with some of the reasons, including cost, that you don't see them as commonly, at least not in a lot of our applications. Mm-hmm. I've never, well, no. When I was training in mud school, we did some cross-link stuff in a lab, and yeah, it was interesting to play with it, but I mean, again, gosh, that's been over 10 years now. But anyway, I haven't, it was for me, never something that I used on a rig, but it is something that has been around in drilling fluids for quite some time, if I'm, my memory serves me correctly. Yeah, for sure. I mean, and there's a lot of different kinds and a lot of different ways you can use them. I mean, frankly, so you probably use the acrylamide, the polymer that swells in water. Yeah. Everybody loves it. I'm not saying it's the best. It's quite expensive. Yeah. But one of the reasons people really like it is you can see what it does, right? It's a very visual thing. Yeah. So even though it probably costs more and works as well or maybe not as well as other conventional things, it does kind of work, but I could see it. Mm -hmm. And cross-link pills, the thing is, if you go into a lab or you you mix something up and you see this stuff cross-linking and getting thick or solidifying even, you'd say, well, shoot, I want that to stop my losses. Right. So it's a very visual engaging thing versus like, oh, well, we pump these particles and we hope they kind of stick. So, and it's like the magic of chemistry. So there's a big draw or an appetite for using something like that. But then we've got to balance out the expense and complexity of pumping one. Mm-hmm. Well, Matt, how would you describe what cross-linking is? I think we need to start there first of all. Yeah, so basically we're taking a bunch of smaller polymer chains and linking them together. Probably one of the best examples, well, like hydraulic fracturing, at least with a gel frac. What are we doing? We take these polymers and we give them something that makes the polymer chains want to stick together basically and get and get longer 
and then you get more viscosity and so they get really thick mm-hmm. right and you know in a, in a frack job thing is you don't want to pump it that thick yeah but you want it to go into the fracture that thick right so there's an element of being able to mix these things just right with the right formulation get that cross link to happen with the right amount of time and you know apply some energy to the formation but effectively cross-linking is forming covalent bonds where you join these polymer chains together and they can be very simple like linear polymers they can be a little more complex you know xanthan the reason if you give xanthan a bunch of calcium it will cross-link it'll get the fluid will get chunky and nasty on you and maybe yeah. precipitate out so like we encounter cross-linking we just don't usually do it on purpose <laughs> for most of our applications but the really cool thing about it is it creates this thickening effect. And you can do this, you can do this like a cross-link polymer where it's like a gel, or you can do it where it's like a pretty firm, rigid plug as well. Gotcha. And so, it would just depend on the recipe for exactly, really. You know. Interesting. So when you're talking about so what kind of cross-linking polymers are there? Like because that's a like cross-link polymer is a broad term, right? There's certain components in there. Can you talk about the components that are inside of something like that? So your polymer, which could be a number of different things, but like, for example, in a lot of completion applications where I used to use them, it was HEC and everything was a cross-linked HEC, which HEC is a very simple kind of synthetic, mostly linear shaped polymer. And then you'd add a cross-linker. Borates are really good, zirconium for, I think, higher temperatures. Okay. And, you know, some of this stuff is temperature dependent, pH dependent, that kind of thing. Like, there's a little bit more to the recipe that I won't get into. Sure. But you're basically using these materials to create these covalent bonds and tie those sites on the polymers together to make them lock up to one another. Gotcha. And so, yeah, I mean, borates were the ones that, like, I remember a lot. You could have water that was contaminated with borates and it would inadvertently cause cross-linking. Right. Sometimes that could be a good thing with certain products and sometimes it was really, really bad. Most <laughs> of the time it was really bad. Right. But, yeah, so you need a polymer of some kind. You need a cross-linker, and some of these even go as far as you can have accelerators, retarders, almost like almost like cement, yeah. where you could dial in the formulation and think about this. You could pump something that's relatively thin into a big loss zone, and then it cross-links or sets up inside the loss zone. Like, that's what we want, right? Yeah. So it makes it pumpable through different drilling assemblies and other things. You know, so, you know, the trick there, of course, is when do I mix it relative to when I want to pump it? But there were a number of those that would cross-link down hole as long as you mixed them at the right ratios at surface and yeah. pumped it within the appropriate period of time. Right. Well, I think where a lot of the magic happens is having a proper pumping procedure. Let's talk into that part because I think that's critical to discuss. Yeah, and I think this is where a lot of people get scared. Yeah. Like, okay, you're going to pay a lot of money. It might work. But if you screw it up, you could really screw this up. Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, one, a lot of these are susceptible to contamination. So it means that, hey, I'm on screaming losses, right? Like these, that's normally when you want to use something that's pretty expensive and complicated. You're willing to balance the loss, the risk of losses with everything else. So, hey, while you're on screaming losses, would you mind flushing all your lines and cleaning the pits before we pump this? <laughs> like, could you calmly do that while we deal with the you know losing 100 barrels an hour right so that is like kind of the big first part the other thing is you've got to have that recipe right you're going to account for bottom hole temperature you're going to want to account for how long it's got to go down the string 
when you mix it. And not only that, but when you cut open the sack, like I've had formulations of cross-linkable pills that were like $30,000 worth of product just sitting by the hopper mm. ready to mix. But when you open that first bucket, that money's spent. Yeah. And now you got to mix it. And now you better be ready to pump it with all these other things in. You better do it right. No pressure. <laughs> um, but you'll mix a ratio. A lot of the times there will be very clear mixing tables. This is, goes back to another thing I think you like just as much as I do, Justin, and that's planning. <laughs> so like having a pumping procedure yeah. written out with the right ratios for your conditions before you're on screaming losses and everybody's running around on the rig trying to address them yeah. helps ensure the success of your cross-linked pill. Right. So, you know, basically have your recipe, your formulation ready to go, lined out. And I mean, this was to the point where I would recommend, and granted, we didn't pump these. We would have them all available, but no one, we, we couldn't get the, the settable plugs at least. You never got anybody to fully commit. <laughs> but what you did see was, you know, hey, having the exact number of buckets or sacks yeah. on the pallet for whatever the slugging pit or whatever size you're going to pump so that nobody accidentally adds one too many or leaves something out. Like if everything in this pallet goes into the hopper, we are ready and we have two hours before we have to pump it. Mm -hmm. No questions asked, you know, yeah, that is something that I think is really important to think about with this. Yep. And then the other risk is if you don't get that right and you start pumping this down the string, normally remember you're, you're probably going to maybe try and hesitation, squeeze this, you might try and do some things on the backside, which means you need to get this all out of the string. Right. It's not like a squeeze where it'll defluidize and plug up on you. It could set up on you, mm -hmm. but you don't want this setting inside your BHA. You don't want the setting inside pipe. Like that very much limits your options on what you can do next. Yeah, no, that's a good point. And going back to the planning stage, if this is something that's been programmed or that there's a chance and you read something or the account manager or you know, your supervisor says, hey, look, like we're getting this stuff out on location. Don't wait until you have to use it to figure out how and all that. Like to Matt's point, it would be my recommendation would be to put a procedure together, almost like a template, because ultimately when you have a procedure, you're going to be at a certain depth. You're going to be doing this, you're doing that, but like almost create a dummy procedure and then run it by the company. I'm saying, hey, look, like we may run into this. Like you want to run through this real quick. That way we're not scrambling with our hair on fire when we actually have to pump this thing, send it to the office, whatever. Just for the people who are going to be directly involved with pumping this thing, it wouldn't hurt to have a sort of a procedure in place. And then all you have to do is whether change the volume, change the depth, but the ratios and stuff like that and the steps of you know how you're going to mix it, what you're going to do to pump it, which pit, this and that. Again, you really don't want to be scrambling at likely three in the morning when someone says, okay, we're ready to pump this cross something pill thing. And you're like, oh my goodness, let me go with a flashlight, try to find the right products. And then let me type something up while everyone's breathing down my neck. Like it's the yeah. worst feeling ever. So I do want to reemphasize the planning part because if you, the reality is, is if you mix it incorrectly and you don't pump it in time, you're going to lock up your pits and then, I mean, take your wild guess what could happen after that. Yeah. I mean, Look, if you plan ahead, these things do show some real promise. I mean, what? Yeah. once again, it's visual, but it's also like I was told by my old boss, there was one crosslink pill that they, he said, well, you know, we sold it by the boatload in these carbonate formations in California because you have a ton of losses. But what they would do is they would go in with a blender and bring these samples in, which most customers aren't going to let you bring chemicals into their office anymore. Yeah. But they would blend it and pour it into a cup. 
And by the end of the meeting, it was set <coughs> as a plug. And uh-huh. you could see liquid, solid, and oh, wow, that's firm. Like, that's what's happening down hole. Yeah. You know, and when and when everybody knew in the field, like, this is how you do it, and this is, and it works, blah, 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 it was fine. But everybody was committed to a clear procedure. They knew when they were going to pump it. So going back to your LCM decision tree, mm. if we go down the branch, we're at this loss rate. The office has already said, this is what we're doing. Yeah. We're not going to call town and have a meeting at three in the morning because that's when all total loss events happen. <laughs> you know, we're going to be pretty clear on what our direction is and everybody's just ready to go. Like yeah. it limits risk. It helps ensure the success of it. And so, you know, those are things that you can all affect by just having a plan and knowing when you're going to commit. Right. But most of what I see is you send these products out and this is the reason that I personally haven't been very excited about them for a lot of our applications is a lot of people say they want it when they see, you know, how, wow, that sets up or, oh, that gets really thick. But when they look at the cost and they look at the risk of, you know, setting up in the drilling assembly or, or some of these other things, they say, look, I'm just a little too scared to pull the trigger. And so that stuff goes out to the rig just in case it's go time. Nobody wants to raise their hand and say, let's do this comes back to the warehouse and then we do it all over again until yeah. you look around and you say, look, this stuff's too old to use, you know, it's wasted yeah, and it's expensive. So you, you don't want to be in that position. Matt, talk a little bit about, you mentioned pre-cross-linking. So with cross-linking, there's typically a delay, you pump and you mix and then once it goes down hole, to your point, after a certain period and then with some pressure and everything else, it wants to lock up and there you have it. What about the pre-cross-linking, which I'm what I imagine you're talking about like before we get to that point, right? Yeah, well, so you can get pre-cross-linked polymer, for example, but it's as thick as it sounds from surface. Gotcha. So a lot of this is going to be in brine, workover type stuff. And one thing, you can get a lot of these cross-linked options is acid-soluble, oh, okay. like very easy to get rid of because it's just water and polymer. But Makes sense, yeah. The cross-linking aspect of you, you basically have this stuff in chunks, and there are even like delivery devices. Sometimes you just like mash them through the grating. A lot of times you'll pump them from like a cement unit if you can. But what you don't want to do is break them up too much. Like, right. so you get a five gallon bucket, you know, a bunch of five gallon buckets. So a pallet's worth of this stuff. You mash it through the grating or what have you. And you kind of have it in a position where you can pump it yeah. and send it away. And those chunks of polymer will go to the, th- thief zone first, most likely, because that's where all the fluid wants to go is where it's being lost Mm -hmm. and help seal that off. And those things can last for a while. And in fact, you can make some that will self-degrade. They might have a little bit like an acid precursor in them that over a certain period of time will break the polymer. Yeah. So they're super handy for like workover operations and completions. But the nice thing about them is they're sort of ready to go. They're a little bit more annoying to pump. It's a more common operation that a lot of people use in a completion work or work, seal up some perfs for a little while. It's a pretty straightforward way to go. Gotcha. It's just in our drilling environment, we don't have as many options to be able to do something like that because I've got to pump it down hole. I don't want it to plug anything in my drilling assembly, you know, so on and so forth. Right. Uh, no, that's interesting. I didn't know that something came like prepackaged to that effect. Talk a little bit, I mean, we so, I mean, we'll be kind of repeating it a little bit, but 
what are some of the just in general some of the challenges that that we want to really consider like you know the, the sort of the big bucket items obviously we've talked a little bit about the chemistry and operations but kind of going back to what are the main challenges and things we really need to be mindful of i mean i don't think a lot of us have experience using these i think there's a lot of literature there's a bunch of brochures yeah there's not nearly as many actual people who are on the rig who say i've done this before right and we've talked about this with squeezes as well you know having a very clear procedure is really important but it's also really helpful to have people who pumped it before and if you haven't you need to make sure those people are as educated as possible and maybe have a phone connection to somebody who has right i mean we do that a lot with our squeezes is it's not just the material and mixing and all that but like we have people that will normally kind of from town be ready to pick up the phone and, hey, let's do this. Or if you've got to modify the procedure, let's not forget this to make sure that you have the best shot at success. So I think our lack of experience ties into needing more clear procedures and mm-hmm. that sort of thing and a commitment to following them. You know, that's the other thing is it's sort of annoying when you're in a hurry. What do you do? You start cutting corners. Oh, let's throw this in there. Or, you know, there's just other things that we tend to want to look, I don't have enough time to clean all the pits. Like this is, has to be good enough. Right. It's like, well, good enough is probably failure. So why don't we just do something else? And so I think it limits the amount people panic on the execution side as if everything seemed pretty clear. And I like what you allude to kind of having a template because it's not just the procedure, the right way to do it. It's the right way to do it on your rig, you know, <laughs> yeah, exactly. the way your lines are, you know. Yeah, yeah. No, every rig is going to be a little different on, on how you set it up and just the fluids management side of it. But again, interesting conversation. I'd be curious if anyone out there has experience pumping crosslink polymer pills. If you do, reach out to us, tell us your experience, and we'd be happy to share the story, especially if it was a success. Again, I personally... If I've been a part of one, I don't remember. (laughs) So to your point, there's not a lot of expertise out there. I'm sure there is in certain maybe parts of the world, maybe different companies went through a phase of pumping a lot of them. But, you know, from my seat here, it's not something I'm very well familiar with, especially being hands-on. So if you have any thoughts around that or questions, and if you'd like us to elaborate a little more, please feel free to reach out to us on LinkedIn, or you can reach us at the Flowline Podcast at AESFluids.com. Matt, before we let everyone run, any closing last words on this? No, I think I've said what I need to say. All right. And Matt has dropped the mic. Not Mike has dropped the Matt. Mm, That would be different. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Same, same. Anyway, folks, appreciate all the support. If you could connect with us on LinkedIn, like I said, the actual AES Fluids page continuously gets better and better. We continuously to provide more content, educational sources, all the rest of it. Even the website, Matt and his team have done a great job of putting a lot of good information out there to learn. You know, if you're interested, if you're on a rig and you're with AES, you know, we've got a lot of good information out there on products and all the rest of it. All the episodes that we've done on the flow line are easily accessible on that as well. Matt and yeah. What else? That's it, right? Everybody take care. Take care. Be well. Drink water. All right, folks. You heard it from Matt. Take care. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening. Please tune in next week for another exciting episode of The Flow Line. And remember, may your returns always be full and your trips always smooth. Views expressed in this program belong to participants and not their employees. The program is for informational purposes only and cannot take the place of seeking professional advice. Copyright AES Drilling Fluids.